0: You're listening to the Horse Tribe podcast with the founders of Horse Tribe. I'm Thea.
1: And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse.
0: We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our Horse Tribe will enjoy. Today we are joined by Trudy Dempsey, an accredited animal behaviourist and horse behaviour consultant who spent the last 30 years, you don't look old enough Trudy, uh, the last 30 years honing and developing her approach to helping people solve the horse related problems. Trudy, welcome to the Horse Tribe podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, lovely. And Heidi, great to be <laughs> yeah. Lovely
1: to have you here. And, uh,
2: thank you for that lovely compliment. Um, I wish it were true. I, I must look good on Zoom, although I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting way too old now.
0: Oh, not at all. You're getting more and more experience. That's what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> so Trudy, take us back to where it all started. How did you get involved with horses?
2: Mm, well, of course, it was ponies first, because I was quite small. And I used to go riding with my dad on a weekend we used to go to a local riding school because my dad was mad on horses he'd not grown up with enough money to afford to have horses but he had a mad keen interest in them and he liked race horses and going to the races and my mum hated it so I used to go to the races with my dad from a very young age and and yeah we used to go riding and he was a swimmer in his youth and he said if I could swim a length of the swimming pool I could have a pony. Ha! Huh, well, that was easy, wasn't it? So <laughs> I, I really worked hard at that one. <laughs> yeah, so we went down to Pembrokeshire uh, to um, look at a little grey Welshy, and came home with him, and that was the start, little nutty, silver nutmeg, uh, who actually was the first pony ever Still friend of mine, uh, Sarah Dewson, who is uh, Sarah Baker as she is now, who is the copy bush stud in uh, Pembrokeshire, and she still breeds beautiful show ponies. So, uh, yeah, I've kept in touch over all these years. So yeah, it started with Nutty, and then just you know I went up through through ponies did a bit of hunting bit of everything I wasn't the bravest rider as a kid but I loved it and I loved doing the local shows and pony club and probably less pony club because I was always being drilled by somebody to sit like this do this legs here you know the usual um but yeah loved it as as a kid and then had a long break um at 18 my dad said No, you're more interested in the boys now, therefore, I'm not paying for the horses to sit in the field and you do nothing. So, yeah, that was it. till I I think I was about 22 and I met my husband, 23, maybe. And, uh, yeah, we sort of wanted to do something together and got back into horses then. And so have been now. That's nearly 40 years ago, sadly. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) long time ago but yeah I think it's a fairly typical horsey path um, and then of course husband and I did amateur heat show jumped and I did a bit of dressage and uh, we used to spend our weekends tootling about the the local shows and uh, enjoying the scene you know because there is that isn't there but there's a scene in in competing at an amateur level which is fun uh so yeah that's that's how I got into it I, th- I say fairly fairly typical I think of, of a lot of people um wow, wow. Kids.
0: In- incredible and my first I've got to know Nutty was Nutty Nutty mm, he was well actually
2: to be fair to Nutty he wasn't mad but I did get sent my dad had a friend who was uh the district commissioner for Not our local pony club, but one near enough. And after I couldn't catch him for a fortnight when we got him home and I sat with a bucket of polo mints and pony nuts and carrots and everything, you know, the usual. I sat and literally sobbed every day as he he would come up to me and take them. But as soon as I tried to catch him, I was probably about six or seven. um, And gradually we got hold of him. And my dad said, right, you have to go off to Liz. Liz Cross... Sadly, no longer with us, but a typical old fashioned pony club mistress. And yeah, she had me riding in in her orchard because she said I would learn to ride if I wanted to avoid running into the trees. So, yeah. (laughs) I was not allowed in the school until I could ride in the orchard so yeah and I I learned a lot then and he was lovely and he went on years after me to be first pony for lots of other kids as well afterwards so um, he wasn't really nutty he just was he knew he knew what if you didn't know how to ride he knew how to push your buttons and get away with it.
0: (laughs) there's so many stories we have with our guests of little cheeky monkeys that have gone on to help so many young people ride it's just it really makes me smile um and so you you know you've cantered to use a phrase through your horse ownership but there must be some really special horses as well as nutty on the way who which horses would you call out
2: yeah oh that's hard because for different reasons um so if i can do more than one i i because it's yeah. not really fair to to only know i think probably my eyes were opened most by my first uh, i had a frisian force and i went to see him and the guy couldn't understand he'd been driven and he'd had a guy up on him a couple of times and he said um i don't know why you won't come he was talking to me on the phone don't know why you won't come and see him he's lovely and um, so I went to see him and he was so different to what I was expecting you know the photographs he just looked big black upstanding and I couldn't quite figure what he would be like Uh, and he was lovely and he was fabulous to ride and at the time a Dutch friend of mine when I brought him home said you bought a what to do dressage on (laughs) (laughs) I was like he's perfect he sits. He sits in the trot. She said, yeah, wait till you start trying to canter. Funny you mentioned cantering through my life. Please. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, made, that gave me lots of ideas of different strategies and how it's very easy to put horses into a box and say, you can do this and you can't do this. You know, the, the typical cops can't do dressage or can't jump and stuff. And we all know them that have. And, and you know, race horses are all a certain madness and they're not. And yeah, So it, he I, I would remember him him sort of with great fondness and I actually only sold him when I was pregnant with my daughter because I just hadn't got enough time to do enough of them so I kept a Gelderlander that I had which was a safe he was a safe bet he was like a a nice easy horse and I just thought you know one has to go um and then I would skip forwards probably to a um my last Andalusian who It was I only lost um, about a month ago and I'm not sad about it now because it was he had a lovely life and um, he taught me so much about things. But he was also one of those do anything horses. I put my daughter on him when she was still probably about 10 he was only about 15 too but he was she was way over horse with him but she lost her pony and he helped her through and you could pony from him on him take him anywhere traffic wasn't a problem canter from standstill yeah he was just a joy and he was a joy to train he was the first horse that I started to click a train and he took it all in his stride and so Moraleco probably would be my you know whenever people talk about their horse of a lifetime but but there've been so many um and I probably would have to go back to a really difficult mare that I had when oh, this was I think before I'd even had yeah it was before I'd had my daughter and um, she we bought her in a private sale and I always worry I know everyone says dealers are the devil's work but. Actually, I find dealers normally will try and accommodate you if things aren't quite right, and they'll try and get you the right horse to fit, but private buyer sellers can often be really naughty in what they don't tell you. Anyway, very long story short, she was probably in some amount of pain, but... um, she ended up putting my husband into hospital because he was a lot braver than I was. And, you know, the age old ride through it, get up, get them through it, push on. Don't let them, you know, once they know they're that they're the boss. Um, and so I think she was the point at which I went. Hmm, there are a lot of horses like this. Why are there a lot of horses like this? She didn't like loading. She might load one day, not another day. Um, So that, oh gosh, that's going back at least 30 years, I would think. Um, And so she really started my thought process as to, why are there so many horses like this? Um, You know, it's not just me. Once you tell your story, lots of other people will say, oh yeah, we had a mare like that. And, you know, we had a friend who was a dealer and he had lots of horses in that people couldn't live with anymore. And they all would probably have had problems. I just didn't, at the time, I hadn't made that link between behavior and potential for pain or fear or any of the other things going on so yeah she she certainly wasn't my horse of a lifetime she worried me most of the time and uh, you know sort of terrified me watching my husband on her but you know that it's so many little things that come together to make the whole you and I think she was the one that really started me thinking about it so yeah that's just a a couple that
0: Stand out ones. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, oh, so um Heidi's done the classic. She's on mute. Oh, <laughs> we you. love a mute. So she was oh. she looked like she was away. She was blissfully <laughs> <laughs> okay. asking a question. Oh. Welcome back, Heidi. <laughs> thanks. And
1: uh, yeah, thanks for that, Judy. What I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think we've all been you know been victim of listening to the rhetoric or kick them on give them a smack um tell them who's boss um and like you say as you start to gather more knowledge um and really start to understand horse behavior in terms of what they're actually trying to tell us that yeah it it really comes home doesn't it and makes you wonder about this the things you've perhaps done in the past and I'm certainly as guilty I think as most people of of having you know yeah innocently and not it's not nobody's nobody's purposefully being unkind horses but I think we've moved on such a long way haven't we yeah no
2: absolutely I love um there's a behavior uh, I she's the head honcho for me of behavior Susan Friedman in, in the States and she always says that people are doing the best with the information that they have Currently, and I think that is so true. I didn't overlook those forces pain and poor behavior. And, and interpret it wrongly I just hadn't opened my mind to know it was there and once you have you can't close it mm-hmm. but you know we we have to be careful that we don't look back at other people and say hey what are you doing we need to bring up bring us all up to the same place rather than pushing those people down and it's very easy to have a go at people especially nowadays on the internet it can be quite um you know uncomfortable to see how some
1: people speak to each other uh, and yeah they're, they're just trying to do their best absolutely yeah and so riding wise now um do you, are you still riding, you still riding? I, yeah
2: i don't i don't have one of my own anymore uh, and i probably won't because i'm 60 this year which i don't feel is old even though i'm going on about being old i don't feel it's at all old um but i just do other things in my life and because i work with them sometimes you know it's just really nice to get away from it um i am very lucky i have lots of clients who offer me their horses and very few of whom i can actually take up the offer of riding with or for um so i have one or two clients that need me or would like me to ride as you know part of what, what i do for them and obviously that's really enjoyable um but yeah um, maybe once or twice a week now and it's always somebody else's which it uh, takes away the the kind of heartache and the the hassle that horse ownership it, it costs so much to keep a horse and yeah I... yeah even more so at the <laughs> moment and
0: rising oh. unfortunately but yeah yeah
1: crazy yeah. so obviously we, we can see where your passion for horses came and where your enjoyment of being a, a horse rider and so on came how did you how did you come to work with horses well it's a
2: strange old world isn't it and i would never have said because my parents that was just not on the cards you you cannot work with horses you cannot be an actress you cannot be i was a singer in the band you can't be a singer in a band that's not a job <laughs> um, so off i went to be an engineer and i became an electronic uh, electronics and telecommunications engineer and i started riding again but using my own money to fund my hobby and uh, then I'll say my husband and I sort of got into it a bit more and then very long story short, um, I was an air hostess with British Airways and I did my backing. I herniated a disc and I had to have an operation and during that time my poor husband was going off the rails really, you know, he needed somebody to helping with his schooling and you know what show jumper type chaps are like and so I got a local lady to come in who I didn't know and it was just such a strange thing she was a classical dressage uh, trainer and she trained with a guy called Charles Harris who had been at the um, Spanish riding school in Vienna as a student and she knew all these incredible people and she was a writer and she wrote for I think it was Dressage Today in the States and stuff and I mean my my brain was just blown what so you don't have to ride with a solid contact you don't have to drive them forward at every stride you can let the horse find their own balance and use lateral work when you haven't really even got a massively established canter. gosh I was like you know this is incredible and to cut a very long story short my back got well good enough for me to ride again and I started riding using the same principles and um, then I ended up being an understudy trainer for her I went part-time in my job at British Airways, and I um, yeah just built up being a trainer from that point point. Um, and I loved it I started taking my own clients and doing clinics uh, around the Milton Kings area so we used to have a A session and everyone come along I'd I'd rent an arena and and yeah just took it from there really and then ultimately I went to live in France for 10 years uh, which again taught me an awful lot Um, certainly a local uh, Lusitano breeder who was very generous with his knowledge about riding and training and yeah when you're on your own and you're outside of at any sort of competition, which is where I was in France, you sort of look inwardly a lot and develop your own ideas about things. So those 10 years probably were most formative for me and also where I found positive reinforcement and started to use uh, clicker training alongside my classical dressage riding as well.
0: So I think it'd be interesting for our audience that perhaps haven't heard of positive reinforcement or don't know too much about it, can you tell us, a little? can you describe it to them um, a little bit more? That'd be great. Yeah.
2: OK, so if I describe it, basically it's the way we use the way that all animals, us, pigs, cats, dogs, horses, every single living being, even an amoeba, learns from the consequences that follow a behaviour. So if you're a bit too hot you're forced to take your coat off. You're urged by your natural instinct to take your coat off, you'll be cooler. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. If you're stood outside in the heat and you see a shady tree, you're gonna move and stand under the tree to get your your relief from the sunshine. Um, When we look at that, it can either be relief from the the hot sun or it might be that you could step to the side and get a drink, which might be quite nice. And on the one side, if you think of it in traditional horse riding, we use what's called negative reinforcement. I so wish when the scientists named it, they hadn't put negative in there because people always think you're having a go. Oh, she's telling me I'm using negative, but it's just a mathematical equation. If I remove the pressure, the horse learns to do something. So typical of horse riding, you put some pressure on the rein, the horse stops and you release the pressure. And it knows that actually every time you use the rein, it should stop because of the consequence that follows that you stopped using the rein. Same with using your leg, leg goes on, the horse moves forward because it finds it a little bit uncomfortable when you're teaching it right at the beginning. And when you take your leg off, when it moves, it goes, ah, okay, right. Every time she does that, she wants me to move. When we use positive reinforcement, instead of removing pressure, we add something afterwards. So we set up the behavior, and it's probably not long enough in a podcast, but I hope to get into some of this in when, we, when I do the yeah. webinar. Um, w- when we use positive reinforcement, we add something, typically food, sometimes scratching, that happens after the behavior. So the horse walks on, you don't have to click, but we will often use a click to mark the precise moment, and then we follow that with some food. So the horse knows that when it hears that click, that we can get some food and the benefit of having a click as your to signal there's some positive reinforcement coming is because you can mark that exact moment in time so if i'm riding a canter transition i may be riding four steps of walk i'm going to move my left seat bone forwards and up and the horse is going to lift up and canter and that moment that it follows my cue i click and the horse continues to canter but it knows the moment that i actually asked it to canter and it responded was the moment that we wanted so it's really really about how precise you can be with it there are so many different people within the genre of positive reinforcement training you have people who are so absorbed in it that that's all they use and then you'll find people who might not mix with those people so much who will use a mixture of negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. I just want people to understand how behaviour works. I have no problem right now. We need to get that information out rather than um, having a go at who's purer or better or more positive that's not what it's about it's about understanding how behavior can happen and how you can get more of it you know you you've probably driven along a lane i have many many times i've had many clients where you see them bang 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 with the legs every single stride and the horses just learned that it does walk but only if you bang every stride and as soon as you stop banging it stops and so that's learning. That's just as much a, a learning situation as the horse that learns from having a cue really swiftly removed at, as its negative reinforcement. So, yeah, it's um it's a whole other world and people get a bit frustrated. I don't do the negative. I don't like the positive. I don't like the reinforcement and punishment. But once you get into it, it makes so much sense and it's much easier to work with a horse and get a better conversation going with the horse better communication if you understand how behavior works and why you can get more of it and how easy it is not to get more of it
0: yeah absolutely and so on that point then how how describe some of the uh, challenges should we say and and issues that you use your trainings and and by the sounds that you use a mix of positive and some negative, although we don't like the word, um, (laughs) training. So yeah, give us a a flavour of some of the problems that you might help people yeah, no, sort. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: so i in behavior terms so i would do i have training clients and i have behavior clients a lot of my training clients started as behavior clients um and it will be these are the types of cases i think you're you're sort of digging at and um, so mm. often won't go to the mountain block or goes to the mountain block and won't stand there that's a massive one i would say or probably a quarter of my cases would be mounting block um loading another mm-hmm. one and leaving home not wanting to leave home finding leaving home hard or halfway round a hack it's hard or whatever but you know it, it really stems from the potential of, of separation based anxiety that the horse has whether it's being separated from a buddy in the field or from home the safety of home or the fear of something outside being too much whatever but i would say those three are normally i mean you've always got things like fear of clippers and can't feet, pick their feet up and that but um i think those three main categories are often and and the mounting block could actually be a ridden problem but when I go and look it starts at the mountain block you know a lot of people will say oh yeah find to mount and when you go to see them they've got the tiptoe on the top of the mountain block as the horse is going past it they're on it and off they've gone and I'm like oh hang on is that that's your mounting? That that's really dangerous it's yeah. a jockey
0: start isn't it yeah
2: <laughs> so you know um the, I use that one as a kind of it could be all sorts of onward riding issues but but often if you look at it it you know goes to the mountain block and often behavior as I would describe it bleeds backwards so it might be that it's the riding that's a problem you might be having problems with your walk, walk um, counter transition or um, your horse keeps going backwards all the time every time you ask it to go forwards but then eventually it won't go to the mountain block and then eventually it won't go into the arena and then eventually it won't come out of its stable and so behavior just bleeds backwards so that you end up with a horse you can't do anything with and whilst I might use positive reinforcement with those horses and some negative reinforcement protocols as well um, a lot of what I do actually is even more basic than that and we're looking at making that horse's life more comfortable you know you you really can't go wrong with my colleague Lauren Fraser's friends forage and freedom and she coined that term and it is so lovely I see it everywhere now and yeah shout out to Lauren because it, it really was her that came up with it um and if anyone wants to follow her on TikTok find her because she's just fabulous she's a Canadian uh behaviorist and she's super and uh yeah so friends th- we need horses to be turned out with other horses wherever possible. I know there are reasons that you can't sometimes, but generally speaking, friends are a, a massive part of a horse's life. They they evolve to be part of a group, not to be on their own. Forage they need a lot more forage than some horses are given. You know, a hay net overnight from four in the afternoon is not really going to cut it with most horses to keep them uh, keep their tummies full all overnight, and of course freedom. And that's not just freedom in terms of space, but freedom to be a horse. A horse needs to roll. They need to scratch each other. They need things to scratch on. You know, I I might go to an owner and the first thing we do is take a walk around. I've I've got a history obviously already, and I've spoken to their vet um, to have permission to go and see their clients so that we can pull together the vet knowledge and my knowledge after the visit. And, you know they're in a tiny little electric taped field and they're on their own and so if I can make that bit better it's incredible how that goes through to other areas of that horse's life really incredible some owners find it really hard because they're at livery but it's interesting sometimes if they go to their owner yard owner or I speak to the yard owner how open yard owners can be it's just this fear that I'm going to get pushed off the yard because I'm being awkward I'm asking for too much you know maybe an hour's extra turnout or you know one other horse in the field I know it's it feels Difficult to think of putting your horse out with another one that might kick it or, do you know, it, it isn't easy, I appreciate that, but those things make such a different difference and also adding as much enrichment to the horse's life, because we take everything away from them. If you think about a horse in the wild, they would be looking for water, looking for the best food, looking for somewhere to be safe overnight or whatever. And we take that away. We say, here's your field, here's your water. They don't get a choice of water. They don't get a choice of forage. They don't get a chance to eat trees and leaves, which they would naturally. And so, yeah, bringing some more of that into their lives. So I haven't done any training yet. I'm just going to try and make their lives a bit better. And it's incredible how that can open up the the world of a horse and, and bring change just from that position. Obviously, we need the horse to be pain free. So I'm not going to do any training and I'm probably not even going to change their lives without being pretty sure that I don't think it's pain related. And that's a a multi-pronged approach through the vet, maybe physio, dental, um, professional and uh, hoof professional. Obviously, the whole thing has to come together then. And then I might start saying, "Okay, we could do some cognitive training so we're not even doing physical training yet we're just doing some mind gains some things that might help that horse use its brain so it's not using it to find food or water um, but you know you can you can get it touching a target you can get it learning to stand on a mat. You can get it putting its head through a hula hoop. You could, there are so many things you can do. And I think it's quite good fun for owners as well, especially over wintertime when you know it might be dark, but you can do that sort of stuff in the dark. You don't have to have it very light to do stuff like that. Um, so yeah uh, that that all that before I even start to think of right now get your saddle out and let's have a look at the rest of it and then things like counter conditioning where you know. Uh, uh, something in that horse's brain that has negatively uh, associated with say leaving home every time it goes to the gate it has this horrible sinking feeling that it doesn't like and, and rejigging that and often that's going to be using food sometimes choice sometimes um, something called cat where you allow the, the horse to make a decision how far it can go forwards when it can go forwards and when it wants to turn away and I think we always think that giving the horse control means the horse will go go away we're not interested but actually it's the absolute opposite you know when you start to give a horse a bit more control over how it approaches something they're like hey can we go and have a look at that so horses that might previously have been shocked by a balloon being tied on their a fence a fence post near their stable go hey what's that could we go and have a look at it would I get cookies for touching it and it, it can just change a horse's opinion um, but I would say for everyone if anyone wants the, the big tip the big tip is get your horse checked out by more than one vet if you're not getting an answer that you think is right because so many of these behaviors actually come from discomfort whether it's the saddle or something physical with the actual horse inside of the horse themselves. so yeah so then we'd go on to training and counter conditioning standing up at the mountain block making that into the most amazing place to be until the horse is like yeah I'm I'm absolutely happy I'm oh, giving yeah. them the control to say no I don't want to be here today and you say okay well maybe today you do feel a bit achy because let's face mm. it there are days when I feel great and there's days when I really don't want to go and take exercise oh yes
1: so. <laughs> I hear you sister yeah <laughs>
0: and so I mean there's myriad things that you've you've talked through there and it will be really exciting when you have your webinar to bring that to life uh, more for our audience but what are some of the biggest challenges you you face in doing your job and it might not necessarily be with the horses but yeah what are one Mm. or two things
2: yeah it's it's definitely not with the horses definitely not Uh, It's always funny because if I have students who either want to come out with me or want some advice and I I might do a bit of mentoring with people, they're always like, you know, what can I do? Where can I go? Should I go to a, um, a breeding stud? Should I go to a racehorse yard? Where should I go? And I say, go and work in the pub. And they're like, "What? And they're like, go and meet people because you're going to be working with people because nowadays you're going to kind of have to have a degree to do all this. I, I'm lucky I avoided that. But, you know, for the young kids coming up now, 17, 18 year olds, they're going to have to get some sort of degree to do this sort of work in the future. And, you know, after on top of that, then they need to be great around people. You know, they need lessons from people like you guys, who obviously are, you know, a, a podcast host. You can do this, and that's what they need. They need to get on with people. Um, so the the problems for me really are with people, and it's the labels that people use around horses. He's mm. a knob. He's a idiot. I won't see some of the worst ones, um, but you know where I'm going. Really. Yeah. Yeah. What a. Mm-mm. And that doesn't describe the behaviour. Uh, that describes. Their anger at the behavior, and it's really frustrating. Once you say to people, You know, can you see where that behavior is coming from? People are generally fabulous, but they then have got a peer group, and that peer group are going to say to them, Why aren't you riding? Why aren't you kicking on? Why don't you just whip him when he does that? Because he's taking the pee. So, I would say, labels and unsupportive peer groups who really don't want the best for horses, because I don't see why they wouldn't open their minds if they did want the best for horses. So, you know, just sometimes maybe taking a little bit of time to, to think why a horse might do something rather than just putting a label on that horse as being an idiot or whatever. Those are the, those are the polite ones. Um, but generally speaking, I say, I find that people, when they hear the knowledge and they think about it, I I, many, many clients will turn around to me at the end of a consultation and say, so really we shouldn't be riding. Now I don't say that and I absolutely don't think that, but that always says to me that a client has taken on what I've been talking about and saying how hard it is sometimes for horses to adapt to having a rider on their back and not being listened to so yeah I I, I love that when they and I, I'm like no no it's okay you don't if you that's the road you want to go down fine but you know uh, at least you're thinking now so yeah labels are tricky yeah
0: but yeah I think that's a mantra for life actually isn't it labels yeah. are yeah. not often helpful
1: it's, yeah. it's understanding and listening for sure yeah. I'm, I'm a psychologist you may or may not know but um it's one of the things that talking to people about how to manage other people um, and how to give people good feedback is get rid of the value judgment which is the label piece you know they've got a bad attitude or they've, yeah. they're arrogant or whatever it is just talk about what the behavior is because if you yeah. could talk about behavior you can change it but if you label things with value judgments then you can may yeah. immediately create emotion and yeah. like you said you know if someone's labeling a horse that's because they have a feeling about that's been created by that behavior and then in a sense I guess they're labeling themselves and their own emotions yeah
2: yeah absolutely and we love psychologists human psychologists in, (laughs) in our field in fact there are several of my colleagues that came in that way and I think once you know how learning and psychology works it yeah it it just applies across (laughs) everything
1: absolutely and don't tempt me i'm going to ask you a question now which is um it partly has personal interest because i find what you do so fascinating so what advice would you give to someone who did want to become an animal behaviorist um you know you talked about maybe having to have a degree what's the training route how could someone become um yeah well it's
2: so i i personally wish it wasn't this way I wish there were apprenticeships, because for me, I think anything in a physical and animal related profession, you should need to have a lot of physical input practical input to learn how to do do everything and but. That isn't how it is. So I think the rel- you need to do that for yourself. So if you're, if you're still only 16 or 17, I would get out there in the summer holidays and work for anyone that you can, even if it's just sweeping a yard, keep your ears open, listen, observe, and just see everything that you can. If you are ready to make that choice for university, you could do no worse than going to somewhere like Rittle University College, where they have a fantastic behavior degree. Uh, my colleague Rosa verweis uh, wrote and takes that and it's incredible um and after that you would be able to potentially, take on case studies, I think part of the last year is there instead of a dissertation, they can actually do case studies, which is invaluable, I think. There are other unis I know that do it, uh, but at that level, at at the sort of 18 year old intake, you can then go on and do masters and all sorts of things, obviously. Uh, If you're a little bit older and you don't have a relevant degree, I, I should say this is all unregulated at the moment. So I'm talking degrees, I can call myself a behaviorist tomorrow. I don't need, I mean, I am certified and accredited, but I don't have to be, which is why it's so confusing for the public because they see somebody who's effectively a horse trainer calling themselves a behaviorist and they're entitled to They're absolutely entitled to And maybe they do a great job too. Uh, But there isn't at the moment in the UK, for dogs or horses or any animals, there is no structure to that there's no legality for it um but i think that's going to tighten up over the coming years so certainly for the youngsters get your degree if you're a little bit older you could consider doing a masters Uh, edinburgh have an online masters which is incredible it's tough but it's You know, the people that come out of the other end of it have great knowledge. And of course, because you have life skills when you go in, if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, you bring to that the stuff that I've brought, which is years of being around people and horses and other situations in life. Uh, So there are many ways in, but I do think in the future it's going to be quite tight and people will have to take what is now a clinical animal behaviorist route um it's that's literally going to be the the legal way into things but but as I say you can call yourself anything in the UK at the moment and uh yeah so there would be people shouting at however they're listening to this podcast saying yeah you don't have to do that no you don't but but I think we need to have a framework where people can go for instance to the abtc the animal behavior and training council in the uk they can go and look up people and say okay yes they've been certified they've been accredited and then they know what they're getting rather than just you know hitting
1: this oh, absolutely and i think we could continue to ask you questions about problems and solving problems and so on for for quite some time but um we're going to come back and do that for us when you come to one of our and to do a couple of webinars for us so um we're really super excited that you're going to be doing that with us very soon so what will you be um teaching the horse tribe during those webinars
2: okay well i'm going to dig a little bit deeper than i've managed to in the podcast about learning and how we learn and uh, doing a tiny bit of the science but trying to make it approachable rather than uh, too geeky Um, a lot of people get into it and do become very geeky but i'm not that's not the level that i'm going to go in at i'm going to make it hopefully uh, understandable and open for people to take on that will i hope encourage people to look at their horses behavior a bit more we're going to have a look at what clicker training that positive reinforcement is how that fits into the, the the learning that our horse will do how we can use it to our best advantage and the fact that you can ride with it because a lot of people think clicker training is all about touching targets and you know i, I used to ride my own horses in pretty much a whole session and maybe stop four times to give food unless I was teaching something new, and that's a whole different ballgame. But yeah, you don't you don't click and treat every single movement um, as you go. So yeah, we'll have a look at that and how uh, people can use it to maybe help in cases like loading cases where I possibly would use a bit more positive reinforcement. Uh, Yeah, so we'll we'll have a gamble through everything that hopefully will fire them up and get them interested in looking for more that's what I want to do I don't want to give them all the answers because you you can't in one webinar you're not going to get uh, you know every answer but hopefully some people will be able to give me some great questions um, that will you know push the conversation just a bit further as well.
0: That'd be fantastic just to get a good understanding and one or two small things to go away and try that weekend would be incredible. Exactly
2: yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because you come alive. You know, uh, people, when you do these, I do clinics for for new people and you see, especially donkeys, because donkeys are fabulous to work with. They just take their time a little bit more than horses, but you hold up a target. And you see a look on that donkey's face that he has. I know if I touch that, I get food. Or even just my favorite one when I go to a consultation, if the horse is happy to be touched, I will be scratching away at the wither. And I don't mean a little gentle tickle, like I'm giving it, you know, I hold like, how a horse would. And while I'm just chatting to the client, um, I'll be doing that and I'll be watching the horse and the horse will be asking for more. And as he asks, I'll give him some more. And if he gets in my space, I'll stop. And so I'm already jiggling around with behavior. And and then eventually uh, I, I can show the owner how her horse can touch my hand in like three attempts. Can you touch my hand for a scratch? Yes, I can. So little things like that that you can take away and go. Oh, my horse is so clever. They're all clever. They're all brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it's us, we just need to see that. That's
0: all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to. I've got a he's around about two and a half, I think. We're not not quite sure because he's a rescue pony from the RSPCA. And he's super cute. And I'm he's already learning um things and, and you know and I'm not trained in positive reinforcement but I guess I'm using my own common sense in some of the things that I'm I'm encouraging him to do or not to do so uh, I'll be looking at what I can do to stop him um basically being a terrorist and breaking into the feed room that'll be the one thing I want to take away from your webinar <laughs> um so talk, oh, that made me laugh uh, talking of laughing and smiling there must be some funny stories along the way that you can share with the horse Tribe, um, as you've gone through your training, um.
2: yeah, yeah. There were always, there are always. I, I, I did have a think about this, and to be honest, there's some that I really couldn't tell. A, a, because they might be a little bit close, but also the fact that the person involved might be really concerned if I, you know, aired them publicly. Yeah. Um, there's a couple that really come to mind. One was a lovely, and uh, this was a behaviour consultation. I turned up for a horse that was a biter, and biting the the girl that owned him and I turned up to a glamorous looking young woman oh she was you know in a tiny cut off pair of shorts trainers a boob tube and nails like you know the the killer nails extension wow yeah and I was like oh my goodness and of course then I judge I I in my mind to have a label obviously attached to somebody that looks like that when they're dealing with horses and um could not have been further Um, mind you seeing her on a horse riding in that because I thought she'd go and get changed into Jod's, but no she rode in these tiny pair of shorts beautifully I might add and the nails don't get in the way but the, the ace thing was when we were doing reinforcement she'd got the nails to do it with And this horse, he was a great big chunky horse. You know, his bottom lip was going by the end that he was getting all this wonderful scratching. So, yeah, uh, that's (laughs) me. I I need to take my own medicine there and not use labels, but because you shouldn't judge people by how they look she took everything on she was a great little trainer and uh so that was yeah that was that was quite funny my, my <laughs> I hope my chin didn't drop when I turned up because um you know it wasn't what I was expecting but hey there we go <laughs> But, but I,
0: other... I, I draw the line at, at, at getting false nails to do positive oh. reinforcement you have to give me another way Trudy yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm you, not you glamorous can, can, at all no no, no <laughs>
2: you can do it you can you can put a hoof between your thumb and, and forefinger or anything that doesn't Good. hurt yes, <laughs> yeah, it's not not difficult uh, but yeah the other funny story that just did tickled me thinking back over it when I was in France I had a lady client that used to come about an hour away uh, she was another English lady and she brought her section d and uh, she was a quite well endowed lady and um she'll love, if she's listening to this she will love remind being reminded of this we had a great hoop and anyway she turns up with her her section d stallion and she said um oh no i forgot my second bra she used to put a sports bra on top to, to keep everything from jiggling <laughs> And the fun we had wrapping her in a tail bandage to, <laughs> be, to drop the jiggle uh. was just too much. It was. I, I just can. I'm there back thinking about it. So I <laughs>
0: yeah, have was, lots of empathy for that lady. That's why yeah. I wear a bat protector. It keeps the puppies in the right <laughs> place.
1: <Yeah. laughs> There's always a way, isn't there? But yeah, oh, that was joy. that was tricky. It's
2: kind of crossover, you know, cross your heart bra, but it was a tail bandage. It was,
1: it was brilliant. Oh, <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, and uh, Trudy, we always ask our experts for a relatable top trip to give top trip, top tip to give to the whole <laughs> You've given us loads of top tips already, but what would be what would be the takeaway that you give to people? Okay, my big one, I think would
2: have to be, and again, it's a a bit of a Susan, Dr. Susan Friedman one, is find the function. Find the the function, or WTF, not what the, but what's the function. If you find the function of a behaviour, you are going to know so much more about how to deal with it. And by function, I mean, what maintains that behaviour? What causes that behaviour? And bearing in mind that I've said that behaviour can bleed to from the original cause of it right through to you know a long distance really if you can find out where what's keeping that behavior going why won't your horse stand still at the mountain block will it stand still at the mountain block without a saddle without your riding hat on will it stand still at something that looks like a bit like a mountain block but isn't your normal mountain block so is it the the place that you're finding your horse mounting in is problematic um that would be my chase back and find out the function of the behavior that you're seeing first of all describe it what is the behavior not just he's a at the mountain block what does he do at the mountain block? does he swing his quarters out does he walk forwards as soon as you get your foot in the stirrup what is the actual behavior first of all describe it and then find out where it's, if you can, where it's coming from. What maintains it? Does it happen everywhere? Does it only happen on a Tuesday? Does it only happen when he's facing one way or the other way, things like that. That for me is start digging, start observing and look at behavior for what
1: it actually is. And
2: mm, you might be surprised sometimes.
1: That's brilliant. And Again, I've got my psychology brain going. It's one of the things you'd say to people. So, oh, I know I need to change or I should change this. But the, you'll always find that for whatever the behaviour is, for, if it, if it's there and it's consistent, it serves that person in some way. And yeah. understanding what and how it serves them then enables you to to make yeah. something yeah. to enable them to change their behaviour. So same with horses. I'm not like this. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely love it. I oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Trudy. This has been wonderful to meet you and hear more about what you do and your in your journey. And I, I really love that you've gone from being um, an engineer of <laughs> things to an engineer of behaviour. You're engineering a better place for horses. Aww. There you go, a better world for horses. Um, yeah. See me later if you need marketing support for times. Yes, that, that's very <laughs> nice. <laughs> <not>.
1: I'm
0: super. <laughs> no,
2: I'm super impressed. That was a good one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so tell our listeners where they can find out more about you: um, um, website, uh, social media, etc. Okay.
2: So you can find me at equine.training. I know that sounds ridiculous website that it is www.equine.training that's it there's no comms there's co UKs. nothing it's just equine.training um, and if you search under my name on facebook you'll find me probably there um, as well and i do take friends requests from just about everyone because i really only use facebook pretty much as a kind of business uh, center um, and I run courses at understandhorses.com which is Justine Harrison's uh, great baby and so there are several of us running courses there. I have some standalone courses um, but I also have interactive courses so maybe four times a year I run interactive positive reinforcement based training courses where for maybe eight weeks we go through Uh, your behavior and we have zoom meetings and people get voiceover feedback on their um, videos of of how they're doing and it's a fabulous way to learn because there's a whole group learning together so they get to see each other's and they get to understand maybe everyone's at a different place and that every horse's behavior will be different and their needs will be different Uh, so yeah that's I, I do some in person obviously I do in person locally to me here in South Somerset, but I do also do nationwide workshops, I've got one coming up in Norfolk, but that one is sold out, but I have a couple of places left on one in Taunton in June, Uh, come and have a go at some positive reinforcement uh, with the horses there at Conquest Centre, which is um, a a fabulous center for horses and for learning already um, and so yeah there's that that's a couple of things coming up and yeah i have a course at the iaabc which is my certification um, body and that's running at the moment but i'm sure they'll run that one again and that's all about looking at pain and discomfort there's a fantastic ethogram that was developed by uh, dr sue mcdonnell in the states um and others and yeah so we we go through that and, and have a look at the different behaviors you might see through um, pain
0: and, and have a look
2: at some case studies of mine as well at the same time. Brilliant.
0: Fantastic. Lots of, yeah, lots, lots of places of to find you doing. and very soon you'll be found <laughs> with us on a webinar too, so yeah, check Brilliant. out our
1: website. Yeah, it's been and it's been lovely to to find out more about the person behind the expertise, as we always say, and, and find out a little bit more about your life with horses and how you got to be doing what you're doing. So thank you so much for taking the time, do We really appreciate it. It's been fun.
2: It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, and I should have said, I do have the Lead Your Horse, Lead a Horse to Water podcast. So if, if people yeah. listening to this are into podcasts, that you can come and have a listen to to mine too. Absolutely. Cheeky, cheeky little ad there. Sorry. Oh, go for it. Yay. Go for it. We like it.
0: <laughs> lovely thank you so much judy yeah see you soon Pleasure. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: thank you for listening to the horse tribe podcast
0: we'd love you to subscribe rate and review the podcast and share it with your
1: horse tribe so keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders equestrian experts and special guests